0: Hello. Hi. Hi. How is everybody? Good over here. How are you? I'm good. There's an airplane flying over my house, which is why I'm muted because i
1: can't close the window. It's too hot. I'm melting. Oh. I'm melting. That's how I am. Mm.
0: Yes. Yes. Nadine, you were, It's. it was very cold where you were, right?
2: Yeah, it was cold for us. Two of my three kids had swimming lessons outside and they were, their teeth were chattering in the pool like 10 minutes in and then in this one hour lesson. So they were happy to come home. After Gosh,
0: yes. So uh, Gabby's melting. Um, I was melting previously. Right now I'm okay, but got all sorts of temperatures going on today. I think we're we're just, uh, we're talking about a lot of things
2: that we love. It's six-ish months into the year. Isn't that crazy? I was wondering, do you set reading goals of like how many books you want to read or if you want to read a certain day of the week or anything like that? So I, I know there are people that have like, I'm going to read this many books in a year. Yeah. Do either of you do that or do you just kind of go with the flow? I definitely do not do that. I
1: ha- I do have
2: like stacks of books as T
1: B like on my TBR, which just grows and grows and grows. And I have an unidentified, unspecified goal of chipping away at that, but anything beyond that just puts up too much pressure on me. There are definitely books that I think as soon as that comes out, I wanna read it and I'll drop everything and do that. But otherwise, I don't have like a number that I put on for the year or even for like a half year.
0: Yeah, I don't really have reading goals either besides just to read some. I think it was, I wish I could remember the podcast I was listening to. It was not ours. I'm sorry, guys. I know. I'm sorry, Gabby. <laughs> but the someone on the podcast said, if you don't have enough time to read, you don't have enough time to write. And I thought that was kind of interesting because um, the point that they were trying to make was, that reading in your genre and also outside of it is essential to your growth as a writer, which I do agree with. I agree too. And I think there's so much that you
1: take in subconsciously when you read that if you want to improve your craft, yeah, I kind of say this, but then at the same time, I wonder how it is for people who learn differently because I am the type of person who definitely has to learn by doing and see examples of it. So if I don't read and see how other people are doing things and learn from that, like I'll highlight things that I love, but I'll also highlight things that confuse me or things that I think could be done differently. And so I learn in that way because I see how it's being done. But I do know that there are people who can pick up a thing in theory and do it right the first time. And so I do get and i am on the side of like read a lot so that you know what you're doing when you're writing and also so that you know standards in the industry in your genre in you know all that stuff that you need to know but at the same time that is stuff that you can't take in in theory and so i wonder if there's anybody else who has experience in not reading as much as is prescribed by a lot of people a lot of writers i should say
2: well the thing is i enjoy reading so that's why That's why I mostly read, but I have noticed that it does improve my writing exponentially, especially when revising, and I'm trying to find different ways to say the same thing. (laughs) And I did learn that I am an auditory learner from audiobooks. Sentences would stick with me a lot more when I could hear them and how they sounded and what I loved about that sound. And I would notice a pattern of what types of sentences I was taking more notes on, whereas I wasn't necessarily taking those when I was just reading with my eyes. And I'm a teacher for like that's what I went to school for. So I should know these things. But learning that about myself when I'm 35 was kind of revelatory. I think audiobooks, it's not difficult for me to read via audio. It is difficult for me to read with my eyes. But having that support, and I know with like young children, we say one of the most important things is for a fluent adult to read to them to increase their language acquisition and to increase their writing and their reading. So it doesn't stop Stop when you turn seven or turn eight. Just remembering that those things can apply to myself was also helpful for me. Isn't it funny that we all make
1: that assumption that like specific things are for kids and once you reach a certain age, you grow out of it. Like even things like routines I found are so important as an adult for me to feel settled. We put a huge emphasis on like kids need a routine. They need to know when it's time to bath, when it's time to go to bed, like when meal time's on, all of those things. And actually as an adult, it really helps as well. And that's a, a very, very simple thing but also helps me when I write to know what my routines are and when I read being able to step out of that routine sometimes but also knowing that
0: there's a structure in place. Can you give an example of a routine that's been really working for you? I've
1: been thinking about this a lot lately because I'm finding with a new book that I'm writing that I'm really struggling to keep to the same routine as I have with others. And I think that's because uh, it's a different type of story that requires different things from me. So what I tend to do is I know the times of day that I'm productive. And I also know that there's certain things I have to do in the day that I don't have control over. So there's a certain time I need to leave the house at a certain time I need to um, spend time Doing things for other people. And those are set in stone. I can't change them, but sometimes they fall into my productive hours. So I have to find ways to be productive in other times or otherwise try really buckle down and capitalize on the time that I do have when I'm productive. So that's one of the ways that I am able to draw a routine for myself and know when I need to change it, depending on how I feel. I don't always know how I need to change it. Sometimes I just feel something's off and then I just have to. Step away, do other things and try to keep the core parts of my routine that are important, like make sure that I eat and make sure that I try to sleep and just the basics, Like really, really basic. That doesn't always work because even when seasons change and the days get longer or the temperature is crazy, I feel unsettled. And so I guess part of being comfortable in a routine is
0: also knowing when you need to adjust that routine. That makes sense. I um I like what you said, kind of pointing towards the seasons. I think there is a book called Wintering, um, which I haven't read yet, but it, it does allude to the practice of you know during the winter people slow down or, or like or even if you think about bears like slowing down, hibernating that sort of thing. I think that that's kind of an important point that you don't necessarily have to be the same during every single season. In spring, if that's a time for go 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 busy bees, maybe the colder season or whatever is working for you maybe that's the time that you have to slow down or to look inward I know for myself like my body goes through cycles where like I'll feel myself needing to pull more inward um, to do X thing
2: so that's a good point like it's funny that it's wintering because I'm finding it difficult in the summer just because my kids are all home and after having them in school and being able to write while they're in school I've had to figure out a different way to get my writing in it's easier to get reading in for me because I don't mind like I can read they can see me reading and they don't ask me for things but if i'm writing every two seconds mom can you help with this mom can you help with that and so i've been trying to get up early in the mornings which i did i think two summers ago to finish my last book i'm also going through medication changes and so mornings have been difficult to get up at like 5 a.m or even 6 a.m is a bit more doable but it's still hard to make myself wake up so finding ways to still do those things that are required of me every day i am the primary caregiver of our children but also not sacrificing my creative outlets and then getting frustrated and taking that out on those that I care the most about. It's almost like summer needs to be a little bit more low key and then fall is when the busy will get in and not getting too frustrated that I'm not as productive as when they have school to go to.
1: Yeah. And I think also sometimes that those quiet times or that kind of shift in routine is really important for creativity. And I found that when I let myself lean into those changes instead of fighting, them that when I do come back to anything that I need to do creatively, it works better because I come back fresher, even if the break wasn't intended.
0: I love this. What is refilling your creative well right now? I've been reading some really great books. Today, I actually just started reading
1: one called The Ghost Bride. Have you read that? That sounds so familiar. I don't think I have. It is, I'm really not very far in at all. It is by Yang Zi Chu. And it's really interesting because there's, it draws on a mix of culture, which overlaps a little bit with my culture. And I haven't looked up properly the history. I'm only like one and a half chapters in or something, but I sort of read it while I was commuting and thought, oh, as soon as I get a chance, I need to look up the history and culture and background of the story because it's super interesting the way that it's set. It's this girl who has to marry a ghost. And that is part of an actual cultural belief that... Sometimes spirits need to be placated, and so they have to m- marry the ghost in order to do that, or sometimes they marry ghosts to each other. Um, and I don't know fully all of the, the ins and outs of it, so I'm still getting into the whole like research phase of that, but it's super interesting and it's really well written.
0: I know there's the book, right? But there's also a, uh, a K drama too called The Ghost Bride, um, and that's on Netflix, by the
2: way. Is it based on this book, or are they just two separate things with the same name?
0: I'm I'm like, I'm gonna go on air and say that. And then I'm going to be wrong, but I'm like 99% sure it is based on that book.
1: And then something else That I read very recently That I loved Was It was a very quick read It was a graphic novel Called The Tea Dragon Society Have you read it? No But that does sound nice That sounds so cute It is really cute And it's these little tea dragons They're little dragons And they have like The branches and stuff That grow out of their heads That grow tea leaves And then depending On the type of dragon they are You Like they become Your your dragon If you're like a Tea master person There's a different word For this I'm remembering incorrectly But you look after it And that's a lot of work And they don't grow very big But you then harvest the leaves and there's like a special way to brew them and you get all this nice special tea. And, but there's more to the story than that. The pictures are beautiful and I won't ruin it for you because
0: it'll take you like 10 minutes to read. I feel like that ticks like every box that I had when you said that. (laughs) So I definitely want to read that.
1: Somebody recommended it to me when I said I was writing a book with tea magic in it. And I didn't I, w- I didn't know what to expect. I just put it on hold on Libby and when it came, I was like, oh, I wish I bought this book because you have to zoom in because I read the stuff on Libby on my phone and the pictures are so beautiful. And then you have to like move it around to read the little bubbles and all of the bits in the, in the novel.
2: My daughter actually is reading a cool book. It's a middle grade and there are two characters, the girl, her dad is actually a fictional character. And so what happens is this boy finds her in the library and she's like coming out of a book and they go on a quest cause her dad's missing. And they like go on these quests into books to find her dad who is a fictional character. And um, she's like, mom, this is just like so cool. It's really like the land of stories which was also going into a book. But yeah, I have to go find the, the title because it's just sort of fun and whimsical and keeping her entertained. Has she read Inkheart? I'm not sure. I'll ask her. She reads a lot of things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that one has, um, we'll say like some similar motifs about story coming to life. I believe it is a middle grade. It's like a pretty chunky one. And then there's um, there's a couple of other books in that series. I want to say
2: it's Cornelia Funke, F-U-N-K-E.
0: I might be saying that wrong.
2: I've had a lot of things to do around my house. I know people do spring cleaning, but it seems to be summer cleaning in my house. And it's been a lot easier to get all of those things done by listening to audiobooks. So I feel like I'm still enjoying a book, but I'm also improving my craft while I'm doing these necessary things that have to be changed around my house. And I'm just looking at all the books. I mean, I really enjoyed Fourth Wing. It's a different type of there are different types of stories for different places you are, right? So that was a fun read for me. I just finished The Isles of the Gods by Amy Kaufman. Have you read that? I think it's older. I haven't read that. Me neither. Well, it, I think it has like five points of view. And so at the beginning, I was like, I don't know, because it took a while to get to the inciting incidents. But when you, you stick with it and you give it some time, I thought it was really well done. All of the characters have different motivations. And it was just a, a different way because I've never written a story with more than two points of view. So it was interesting to see how that was done and whether readers will trust you to read past the slow beginning. Because you know we're we're kind of told like you have to hook the reader soon. Almost like if if they read the first sentence, they'll read the second and so on, right? So it was interesting because I'm not sure if she had a big audience before this book came out, but it was a good book to read and I enjoyed it and I learned from it with the POVs in Bird. No, they were in first, all of them. Oh, that is a lot of POVs for first. That is. And did they feel distinct to you? So it was also audiobook and they had a full cast. So that also helped, I think, because there are some books that you don't get a full cast. It's the same reader for two POVs. And then they just do like different voices when people are speaking. But this had different voices for each character. So I think that helped. They have different ways of speaking and they have like different quirks. And like one is a scholar and one is an assassin. And one is like a girl that grew up on a ship and her dad had like this group of sailing ships. I don't know what that's called. Like they a have... Fleet. And then, a yeah. fleet, thank you. <laughs> and then one's a prince. They're going to wake the gods. And this one god is awake and they need to make this sacrifice to this one god to keep the other one sleeping. And then there, you have a POV of the other people that are trying to wake the god so that they these two countries can go at war. Yeah, and there's one that's like very faithful to this one religion that wants to wake the gods up and create this war. And yeah, they felt distinct to me. I love that. I might have to give it a shot. Although I will say, you know, part of this whole suggestion was
0: like, we're going to talk about things we love, which I kind of feel like inevitably makes my too long TBR longer. (laughs) So I don't know what to do about that. Like, I feel like, I mean, it just grows every day and just compressed underneath the weight of a lot of dead trees.
2: Well, you know, I, whenever I ask people, like, what are they reading? I just look it up in Libby because I am doing audio and then whatever comes available is sort of what. I end up reading. And oftentimes I can't remember who recommended the book to me. But then if I post it on Instagram, then people will be like, oh, I love that book. Oh, I love that book. Or I haven't read that or whatever. So I'm mostly at the whim of my Libby holds and when they come available. That's fair. I love the, um, the first line series you've been doing, by the way. Thank you. I find it interesting actually when you go because I don't always remember what the first line of a book was and then I go back and I look and I wonder if people can guess what the book is by its first line. Did you find, I don't know if you looked at this but did you find when you looked at first
1: lines that depending on when a book was published there was a different sort of feel to how it was done because these are all fantasy and I'm curious because I feel like and I I really haven't done like a proper study of this but it's just a sense that I have that if you go to some of the older fantasy stuff even like 10 years ago you're given the grace of two pages or a chapter before, you know, that first line doesn't have to be the thing that grabs everybody. Did you notice that? Or did you specifically pick books where the first line was strong for you?
2: Um, I specifically picked ones that I felt had strong lines. And I was actually quite, I don't know if shocked is the right word, just because I've been querying. And that's something that we have found important is making sure that our first lines are grabbing people's attention. And that was something that we have been working on in our craft. So I thought it was important for everyone but it's not and I was actually quite disappointed and so many were quite boring or I'll read down the page and I'm like why wasn't that the first line which is not necessarily like a bad thing it's just a choice thing but yeah the ones that I'm picking are the ones where I'm like this is a good line this is a good line or books that I really loved I haven't necessarily looked at books from 10 years ago but I do have a couple older books where I've come back and reread them as a writer and not just a reader and I'm like oh I remember this book differently or I remember the feeling I got from the book and not necessarily the line level writing. So that's almost like a don't reread your favorite books. If you like as a writer, you know, it it almost ruined it a little bit for me. Has that ever happened to you? I wonder
1: about that. I I mean, yes, it has happened, not in the sense of rereading a favorite book, but reading something that maybe a lot of people love and recommend and then finding that I can't switch my writer brain off and I'm too judgmental about it. I just can't enjoy it as a reader. At the same time, I do think there's value in reading books like that because there's obviously something when a lot of people are flocking towards it and talking about it and loving it that is resonating with readers. And I think we shouldn't ignore that as writers because it's not only about craft, right? It's it's about the storytelling. It's about how you engage the person who's meeting you for that story or meeting the story where it's at. So a lot of what I tried to kind of pull out of all the threads is what is the ingredient that works here or which ingredients are making this something that people want to keep with them forever? as a part of that at all story treasure box. And part of me also wonders if sometimes when authors have multiple books, there's less pressure to have a strong first line or to have a strong first few pages because they already have an audience. I'm not saying that's necessarily right or wrong. I just think if I was in that space, I think I would always try to improve my craft and always kind of keep all of those things in place. But at the same time, like I'm not in that space, so I can't really judge what it's like. And maybe they're writing so many things and have so many different types of deadlines, that they have other ways that they approach story and people still return for their books. So I don't know that I'm the right person to kind of judge that, but I do find all of these factors really interesting and always kind of keep them in mind when I look at these things, because I feel like there isn't one single thing or one like list of things that have to be ticked off for things to work. Sometimes one thing can work really, really well. And it's enough, even if people notice there are other things wrong with the story, that they can dismiss it or quiet it for a while or kind of tamp it down because they're so engaged and drawn in by the aspect that does
0: work well. This talk about first lines, actually, it's, I was getting sentimental here. <laughs> Gabby, remember our beginnings episode? I do indeed remember that episode. Yes, I. well, we, t- we talked about first lines then as well, and I was um, just going to... Harken back to N.K. Jemison. I love. I, I I just love her work so much, and um, I'm just going to bring it up again in case people don't remember this magical line from the fifth season. But it's, let's start with the end of the world. Why don't we get it over with and move on to more interesting things? I just love that. Like it is. I mean, it slaps, it totally slaps. And it's just, you know, because you're like, why is, what is more interesting than the end of the world? And who's us? Like, who's we? Like those lines, I just, as a reader, I ask a lot of questions with them and I'm automatically reading to find out more. N.K. Jemison is, you know, a fantastic and established author and she comes out with bangers all the time. You know, all her stuff just rocks. So um, I think it definitely just depends on the writer. she is completely brilliant. And that is
1: a standard that I would always aspire to. But I, I've done her masterclass and she just is so interesting in the way that she approaches storytelling and how like, I feel like every author that I listen to when they talk about things like world building or character development, they all have a different way and a different method of prioritizing those things, when, especially when they write fantasy. And usually they're like, you can't go forward in the world without first doing this thing and then it's different for everybody but all of their books come out super brilliantly it's just so interesting that this is their golden rule you know that works for them it's a thing that they follow and they follow through and they do it really well and obviously having that kind of methodology means that they've really sat and thought about how they approach story and I think that is what makes the difference between somebody who can just put out something that is good enough and somebody who is putting in extra effort to make it absolutely shine
0: Completely agree. And I have not done uh, the masterclass that you talked about, and I would love to at some point, but there is a podcast episode and I probably have talked about it before, but she will world build with you on that episode. It's a long episode. It is 120,000% worth it. And you can really see the way her mind works um, because for me anyway, my perception of it is that she's really good with systems, which is why her world building is so excellent. And I believe that people that world build and think about systems usually have some of the most uh, well thought out world building because you're thinking about these cascading effects of if I do this, then this, you know, how does this affect this? So I think that that's done very well. So if you're looking for a, um, a free resource on that, we'll put that in the show notes.
1: And I have listened to that one. And I will say there is some overlap. I think it's definitely well worth a listen what I think she does really brilliantly is uses her world building as a basis for character development. And so I'll just give a quick example. And she really does this much better. So absolutely listen to the podcast episode. She asks questions about, you know, where is the world situated? Where are your lines of latitude and longitude? Those sort of things. Because things like just pulling out a simple example, weather is something that will affect your character Think about how weather affects us and affects us in our day. If it's snowing for 90% of the time, then we have to adapt in certain ways. And a lot of that is going to influence. It's going to influence what we eat. It's going to influence how we dress, how we move through the world, what kind of vehicles we drive, how we interact with our neighbors. How far away do we live from people? Do we have to shovel driveways? Do we have pets? Do we have wide roads based on a simple thing like weather? What is the life of my character like? And that's important because it's a question that helps inform your character's development on a fundamental level. I have never really thought about character development in that way. I think of what is my character's trauma and how
2: has that influenced the way that they behave now? How are you guys in your writing so far this year?
0: good <laughs> yeah. um yeah I um I have a book coming out <laughs> so yeah yay yay yeah so um I've been okay I want to talk about your amazing cover <laughs> oh
1: my gosh okay first oh. talk about your writing first talk about your okay
0: writing. okay well I sent out so so by the time this episode airs all of this will be out so if you're curious and haven't seen it go ahead and look on you know my Instagram profile and there'll be a nice sweet cover there for you to look at but yeah I um, I sent out an email to um, a bunch of really lovely people that offered to reveal my cover for me and I also did a as kind of like a little gift we'll say like a sneak peek teaser of my first chapter which um, outside of YouTube really I've, no one's really seen Yeah. So anyway, it was a pretty big deal. And then I had like a really great little acknowledgement section. Did you guys see that?
1: That's my first time being in anybody's acknowledgement. Well, you are the best.
0: (laughs) You both are. I'm so grateful for you both. I really could cry. (laughs) So
1: No crying. We want to talk about your cover. I pulled it up here because I want to say stuff about it because it'll be out by by that time so I can say it. Okay, Okay. Say it. (laughs) Okay. So my favorite thing on the cover, I'm going to say my favorite two things on the cover because I can't only pick one. And I feel like I should say three things because that'll be rounded, but no, I'm going to, I'm not going to be silly. Okay. The skulls are super amazing. They're like the 3D dimension of it makes me feel so sucked in to this picture that I can't stop staring at them, especially the one on the top left. Are you looking at it right now?
0: Oh yeah, that yes, I I know exactly what you mean. My uh my cover designer, I, his name's David, of best selling covers, but um it's you know from him. So I I was really pleased with that. I love that.
1: And my second favorite <laughs> thing, which is my second thing, which is also a favorite thing, not ranked second, is the raven. And the raven, I love that because I you don't immediately see the raven, and so it feels like an undercover raven. It feels yeah. like a secret raven.
0: Secret raven. That's what I love about the
1: Raven. Aside from the fact that I do love Ravens, but thank you. Also the color. I know. Like, come on, come uh, on. Who picked the color? Did you pick the color or did it come as like part of an option? And then.
0: Yes. Tell so us actually, tell us about this process because. My meat cute with my cover. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so this actually is a pre-made cover. So I did put David through some hoops with it. Um, for my like my type and stuff like that, for the, um, the title treatment and things like that was very important to me. One thing that some of you may or may not know is I have an art background, but I specifically did not want to do my cover. So this is a pre-made cover and I saw it and there was some stuff I wanted done to it for it to look a little bit more, I guess, genre specific. So that was something I was really thinking of when I was shopping around for covers because good cover design, more than it just being beautiful or anything like that like it will tell whoever is looking at it you know just give them a vibe about what is going to be inside so I wanted something that screamed dark but also fantasy you know yeah. so it's deathy yes <laughs> yes exactly you know you know the moves Gabby so uh I wish I could just capture that little head nod in a gif it was perfect um <laughs> Uh, But yes, so um, so anyway, when I when I saw this, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is fantastic. So my cover designer, um, I actually pulled a bunch of covers that I really liked the type treatment and I showed him those. And then he was able to kind of go with uh, with that in mind, Uh, because, again, you just want to think about genre conventions and what's working well. So I fingers crossed hoping this will get people to like actually look at my books. You know, and then they'll be just swept away, obviously, with um, my first line or something. (laughs) But um, but yeah, so that's, you know, where I went with it. And then I actually retroactively went in and added some of the elements that I loved about the cover into my draft, which I think is fun as a, a little fun fact. I'm
1: wondering if you can tell us a couple of things. The first is what is a type treatment?
0: Okay, just from like a kind of an art thing, like the the treatment of the text on there. I really I had a lot of feelings about that because, I mean, you want people to really look at the text as well. Like that's my title. So that was something that was important to me. And then also, you know, when you open up the book, I'm going to use that type again. You know, I want it to be good. You know, I want that to be like, yeah, this is the thing. This is the move. I love this, you know, and that was um, so I wanted something that was kind of bold, but had like some elegance to it that could lend itself to either uh, fantasy or romance. And I felt like uh, he did a really good job with that.
2: Speaking of the cover, I also love it already tells me that this is going to be like it is going to be an empire. It's going to be a whole world. And I would like to know if there are planned Books coming, or if one book, two books, three books. I don't know if that is in the plan already because you are doing indie, so you can make that up. You decide, right? Whereas I think in the pub industry, you kind of have to see how many you sell. So I'd also love to learn a little bit about that.
0: Uh, yeah. So I'm thinking of this as an epic romanticy. And uh, there's just something about that that I just, I really love saying epic romanticy. I think it's so fun and awesome. My idea is that this is going to have at least three books in it. We'll see kind of as things go on. And I do have ideas, uh, for other stories in world that, that are in the works. I think one thing that I was having this conversation with myself and I was thinking about, um, you know, when you think about fantasy and there's a possibility people are going to die, but then when you add in romance, there's certain agreements. I think when you're, you know, when you're saying something is like a like a romance or a romanticy. I think there's a, a a level of happily ever after you're promising. So um, so anyway, like I'm just being mindful about those genre conventions. I think too. I, I'm not saying people won't die because I'm writing it, but uh, I'm I don't think I'm going to offend people by killing off uh, your romantic pairing. Um, not that they won't uh, get hurt a lot
2: because that's story. <laughs> So Courtney, tell us when your pub date is so that our listeners can remember. It is October 19th, 2023, and uh, we are doing a fun thing, right? I am so excited for the funding, but I'm also excited because (laughs) tomorrow is the cover reveal. Yes. And then everyone else can see it too. And then they can scream with us because we've had to keep it a secret for so long. Which is
1: yesterday for everybody listening. Now,
0: today.
2: (laughs) Wait, no. It's two days ago. It's two yesterdays.
0: Oh, never mind.
1: I can't time. Time is not real.
0: We don't need to time, but at some point... It will be revealed and it will have been in the past when you're listening to this. (laughs) All will be revealed. Um,
2: (laughs) But anyway, our fun thing.
0: We are going to be really cute and we're going to have a story be sleepover.
2: I'm so excited. And I think maybe we need like matching pajamas or something or matching mug. And I'm excited because we're also going to have snacks. Oh, yeah, always. Do we have matching snacks? Yes. And no, book theme, book oh, book theme snacks. Yes, all of them. Lady of Roses and Ruin themed snacks. Oh, my gosh. You guys. guys this is going to be a clean <laughs> video. Okay.
0: Yeah, nothing I don't that will we'll get. Mind. You want to Billions- get kicked off of Instagram? <laughs> some of those things you just can't do on a live, Nadine. I don't know where your heads are at. I'm
2: just talking about popcorn.
0: <laughs> Didn't you read some of those snippets? <laughs>
2: Maybe some strawberry jam.
0: Okay, we will leave you with that, folks. Don't worry, we won't do anything inappropriate on Instagram. You can just read those things in my book.
1: I like how you said we won't do anything inappropriate on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, But I do think (laughs) that this is an excellent place to talk about snacks. Yes. I had... Somebody made me South African buravos, which tastes really good. And you eat it on like a hot dog roll and... Oh, my God. The only thing that was missing was the sauce, which we call danya sauce. And it's it's coriander and um like the, the coriander leaves. And I guess there's like vinegar and maybe some sugar or something in it. I don't know what goes in it. Normally we would just buy it. But that's how you would eat it. We were just missing the sauce. But the sausage was actually really
2: good. And that's my snack. My very South Africans. That's bringing me back to my childhood. I remember those, the soft white buns, you know, and then you'd eat them outside. And I don't know if you did this, but we would have like bananas, and then we'd put chocolate and marshmallows inside, and then put them on the on the barbie, like on the barbecue, and then so the banana would caramelize. On the braai on the fire and um, then it, it melts the chocolate and the marshmallows and then we'd use like a little spoon that's what the dessert would be of the braai with this bananas with the the chocolate and marshmallows inside is it the skin split open it's a banana, and then you kind of cut like a, a little V in it, almost like a subway sandwich. You know how they like cut a V on top so that it's like a lid. A you v? do a you do a tiny little slit on the top of the banana, and then you okay. stuff chocolate in it. Where is this space? Put some space. of the banana out. Okay, yeah. and then you stuff it with the good stuff. So and then, are you are you gonna draw a like a, a diagram for us? <laughs> I guess I'll have to. I'll I'll do like a little video tutorial and and text it to you. Excellent. I
1: actually really want to try. This now it sounds really good.
2: Yes, I, I i do think that
0: we we do need like the picture instructions though. You know, I'm a writer, so I
1: should
2: be good at this by now. But well, I like your little schematic drawings, your cutting drawings. Yes, agreed. For you, I will. We used to have a fire pit at our old house, we don't have one now. We just have one of those portable like propane things that are not really supposed to be cooked over, but we do with the kids. They're little browning the marshmallows to make s'mores, and they think that's super fun. I
0: love making s'mores. I think they are
2: extremely fun.
0: Did you guys make s'mores, Nadine, with Mari biscuits? I have made them with Mari biscuits and they're
1: delicious. That's the best way to make a s'more. So Mari biscuit is like a buttery, how would you describe it? A buttery, or almost like a caramel type taste of a biscuit that is round and thin-ish and has a good snap and is so perfect for s'mores. And they're South African. I think they're South African. I know them from South Africa, so I just assumed they were South African.
2: Yeah. And the closest thing i found in Canada are like arrowroot cookies. They're usually like an oval, oblong oval type thing. But they're the closest in consistency and taste that I've found here. But Courtney, what are you eating? Well, um, at this moment,
0: nothing. The editing would be brutal, I think, if we were crunching. Yeah. So I had... This seven layer bean dip that my mom made. It's weird. We've been having this isn't like a normal thing for us. But both me and my partner have both celebrated our birthdays early. Me by many, many months. Him by a couple of weeks. But uh, but anyway, we had like a little birthday party for him. Uh, over the weekend, you know, for family and stuff. And it was really nice. And my mom made some stuff that he just loves. And one of them was this like seven layer bean dip. And uh, she made a, you know, a non-dairy version for us. And it was just, I don't know, I love it. And it's something that growing up, she made all the time. And, you know, like for like class events and stuff, when people would just, everyone brings in a dish. So she would always make that and I would bring that in and everybody would just freak out over this bean dip. And anyway, it's delicious. Do you dip like chips in it? Yes. I like, I prefer the scoops, those chips. You get a lot of the the good stuff if it's scoopable. Yum. Indeed. Well then.
2: Be brave. Stay beastly.
0: Oh, uh, and look at my cover.